All right. Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. If you're not familiar with Clinical Athlete, we're a network of healthcare providers, students, and coaches who specialize in the management of athletes. You can find your nearest Clinical Athlete provider at clinicalathlete.com. We also have a forum where clinicians, students, and coaches network, discuss, and share ideas and resources related to sports med, athlete rehab, and performance. So to join the Clinical Athlete Forum or for a potential listing on the Clinical Athlete Directory and for all upcoming seminars, webinars, and events, details can be found on the website. This podcast can also be found on our website along with YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. And reviews are always appreciated. My name is Quinn Hennick. I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Orange County, California at Clinical Athlete Newport. And I'm joined by Jared Maynard, who is the Clinical Athlete Continuing Education Director and Coordinator and a physiotherapist himself at King Physiotherapy and Foot Clinic in Ontario, Canada. What's up, Jared? Not much, man. I'm excited to be here. But looking forward to this all day. Just love talking about some good stuff with some good people. All day, er day, <laughs> as the kids say, as they say, as it were, we're also joined by a very special guest, weightlifter, powerlifter, former collegiate golfer, aspiring chess master, Creighton Physical Therapy student and clinical athlete forum student member, Nate Wong. Nate, what's up, man? Nothing much. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Um, it's honestly a pleasure. I mean, I'm surprised that no one was really asked to be on as a student, but uh, I'm sure there's going to be a long line of uh, students trying to get on now. Dude, I guarantee it. That's kind of how it was in the forum in the early, early days. It's always like the first person that kind of breaks the ice, you know, and then everybody's like, oh, okay, it's a thing. So you're you're a trendsetter, man. You're Sweet. on the frontier. First one. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's it's we're super excited. So like to get a current student's perspective in the field, I think will be really cool because I'm not that far out. I'm five years out this year. And Jared, you're the same four or five years out. Three. Oh, you're yeah. a little young buck. Oh, I feel no, like, oh. yes, five right. years. I'm a vet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Nate, can you tell our six listeners and you're one of them. So I guess now it would be five. Uh, Man. What led you to your current professional interest and ultimately PT school? Well, um, so I went to undergrad at University of Nebraska, um, and I was actually a double major in broadcasting and advertising, so nothing to do with physical therapy, really. So, um, Can you fix our audio? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, I have to brush up. It's funny okay. because one of my professors was like, I want to start a podcast, and you have a broadcasting background. I'm like, okay, professor, like... I got to brush up on this stuff because <laughs> I've just kind of been immersed in uh, physical therapy stuff. But I, I, I interned uh, as a strength coach because I had like a, I had like a, a, a year after my eligibility, a year and a half actually. So I interned in the weight room and then I kind of just fell in love with uh, strength conditioning. So I got my CSCS and then I applied for jobs after I got hired on at, at a performance center in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, um, but the thing is with strength conditioning, uh, there's just a lot out there, you know, and I'm same with physical therapy. There's just a lot of theories, ideas, uh, schools of thought. And I, I was just kind of looking for, uh, like the right way. I was just kind of searching for like a, a neutral kind of, uh, way to kind of approach, uh, training athletes and stuff. And I, I've been resistant to, 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 uh, physical therapy for the longest time. Cause I was all like, Oh man, I'm just gonna work with old people. I'm gonna do manual <laughs> therapy. And I'm gonna, uh, Oh, that's so lame. Like I want to be 
getting people strong and stuff like that. But uh, I, I got into clinical athlete um, through one of my good mentors, uh, Justin Blasford in Omaha, Nebraska, who's a clinician um, at a clinic out there. And he kind of showed, kind of opened my mind to physical therapy. And then now I'm just like in it. So um, uh, I took some prereqs and got into Creighton University and, and, and here I am. And it's kind of weird because now I'm kind of like, man, I want to work with the elderly. I want to work with the geriatric population uh, and really everyone for that matter. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of my brief abridged background. I love that. So you had no background. I mean, you were a broadcasting major and what was the other one? And advertising. And advertising. Yeah. And so you just happened to have some time left and you were just like, oh, strength and conditioning sounds cool. But you, I mean, you played golf in college. So you, you, you had a sports background. Were you, right. were you just like, yeah, that seems cool. Just like be hanging around in the weight room. Yeah. So it was, it's fun. Like I, I originally wanted to be an athletic director. Um, but so I, 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 actually medically retired from golf. It was a long story. And I kind of wrote uh, a blog at length in my, it's in my Instagram bio, but, uh, I kind of, I retired from golf, um, after three years of competing. And I was like, man, I got a bunch of time. I don't know what to do. So I interned with the athletic department, um, in their, uh, just administrative side and strength and conditioning. Cause I knew like, I'm going to work out for the rest of my life. And I just want to learn a little bit. I don't want to learn too much cause, uh, I don't really care that much, but I want to learn a little bit so I can stay healthy. And then when I did that, I'm like, man, I just, I look forward to going in the weight room. Administrative stuff is great, but like, I just, I'm excited to like wake up early and go to the weight room and, and, and coach athletes. So I just kind of kept going down that route. And now here I am. I love that. It's wicked. A, a PT is one of those interesting professions that allows you to do that. We had in my class, a couple guys who had a complete career change like they were business guys like, like international like they were working as a career and they were like i hate this and they just come you know flipped a 180 but it's a similar deal i just those stories are so cool to me so we'll get into the format of the show here this is going to be a q a style as well but we got a bunch of questions from the clinic coffee community um about kind of the student life and so we're going to answer as many as we can and and nate you know, get his perspective on that, obviously. Just a quick disclaimer, if we do end up getting into some specific injury questions, a few are always just kind of impossible or unsafe to answer via podcast. So we'd highly recommend you head over to the clinical athlete directory or and find a provider in your area, or you can shoot us an email at info at clinicalathlete.com. And for more general injury type questions, we'll, we'll always do our best, but still check out those uh, references. And we always get way more questions than we can answer in general during any one show. So if we don't get to yours, there's a good chance we'll get to it in a future episode. So Nate, can you kick so, us off with the first question? Sure. So question number one, what topic has been met with most resistance when discussing with professors slash peers? Um, man, I, I wish there was just one topic, honestly, but there's, I mean, so many things. Um, uh, when we're talking, I, I think posture is a, is a big one that comes to mind. Uh, I couldn't tell you how many times I hear uh, anterior pelvic tail uh, in, in the classroom, whether it's from a professor or, or, or a classmate. Um, I'm working those, on fixing uh, my anterior pelvic tilt right now. It's oh, a mess. Uh, if you can't see, he's, he's a mess. I could tell looking at you. You're. <laughs> <laughs> 
I got that cross syndrome. It's I got that cross syndrome. Oh, it'll get you. How are you getting oxygen to your tissues? I don't know. It messes <laughs> with your breathing. It's so. Anyways, I probably just pissed off some people right there. Calm, yeah, be, be nice. It's, we'll we'll edit the show if we need to for you. Uh, okay, <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, so. Uh, I think posture is a big one that I, I hear talked about a lot um, in the clinic. Another one is probably uh, uh, movement technique, like uh, correct incorrect movement. Um, you hear that a lot. Like if you want you want to squat, you got to make sure your knees are here, your hips are here. You don't want to lean over too much because then your back can get hurt. Um, and uh, and it's hard for me to be like, ah, I mean, like. Uh, it's okay to lift through their back if you can tolerate it, you know, like it's not necessarily, uh, 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 if we're putting more load on a tissue, it's okay as, as long as we can tolerate it. And that's kind of, uh, the message I preach and whether or not it gets across, I, I mean, I can't answer for the, my classmates. And, uh, I think the last one would be trigger points. That's, I, I hear that a lot. It's actually in my physiology exercise, physiology curriculum. Um, mm. so um, trigger points and and when I whenever I ask questions I sound like an idiot. They're like I'm like well, what do you mean like what are trigger points? What's the hypothesis? Has it been proven? And they're like you don't Nate you don't know what trigger points are. And I'm like ah, <laughs> that's not what I meant. But yeah, all right. It does. It, it kind of speaks to more underlying issues, right? I think I always go kind of go back and forth with like you should you know people should naturally question things you should be naturally skeptical blah 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 and and i and i believe that that's true you shouldn't take everything at face value but at the same time you're also paying hundred thousand dollars to go to this school that is you i don't so sometimes i don't blame students for just for taking what they learn in in that school and like taking it at face value because why wouldn't they it's a doctoral program they're paying a lot of money you would assume what you're learning is top notch and so like when you're asking these questions do we actually know what trigger points are and and people are just flabbergasted what you don't know what a trigger point is we learned that on day one i think it just speaks to a a deeper issue because now it's not really a, a trigger point conversation it's more of a conversation on is our is are we up to date on what we're learning in general you know um well we'll take those those topics how do you start those conversations with with fellow students, do you install my question? Oh, sorry. You ask it, Jared. Ask it right now. No, it's too late. Go for no, it. Go, it's fine. Ask. It's fine. I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, yeah, a lot of it comes up when I'm studying with students, um, and and I could probably, I could, I don't say could probably, I can be better at you know um, asking more questions and stuff, but it's it's really difficult because. Uh, we're all kind of on like the equal uh, playing ground where we're all like, uh, we all are first year students. We really don't know anything. So um, it's kind of difficult for me to like, for them to like trust my questioning. So anytime I question something, it's like, man, this Nate guy is just stupid or something, you know? Um, but I, I try to bring it up and I, I still try to cite literature and, 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 and trying to, I try to let them know, like, you know, I didn't have these beliefs at first. Like, I used to just say, like, dude, dry needling is awesome. You know, I have a family friend, actually, who's an acupuncturist. Um, and and I used to get acupunctured all the time because I played golf. My back always hurt. So I always got acupuncture. 
Um, I, I still have, I, I got an email not too long ago about my subscription with the joint chiropractic, you know, and they're, they're like, Hey, you should renew your, your subscription and stuff. So like, I, I used to have all these beliefs. Um, and I think it's, it's important to make that clear with my, with my classmates and say like, Hey, I had these beliefs. It's just, I was presented with new evidence, um, that, I mean, maybe not at the time, quite, like made me change my mind, but I, was like, now I'm starting to ask questions like, dang, like, why do I believe that? Why is this a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, why are we doing this? Why is it so prevalent? And, 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 and what's actually happening at the, at the structural level? I, I just kind of always thought like acupuncture helps. Uh, my joints are out of line. Cracking it helps. Um, but I started questioning it and it, it's slowly changed my mind until like now I'm just like, eh, I would never get acupunctured or mm-hmm. Or, I mean, I would get cracked. It feels good. So sue me. <laughs> it does. It does. Do you, I'm curious, do you, do you find that any, any people, we'll, we'll keep saying classmates because it's easy to say, but any people in general um, are receptive to, you know, an approach or to your approach of saying like, hey, you know, do we know this? Like, what do we actually understand about this? Or, or are most people in your experience turned off by that? Uh, I mean, I would say most people are turned off, but there are people who are receptive. A lot of my, I mean, a lot, some classmates, there's a good chunk of classmates that are like, oh, really? Like, it's okay to lift with your back and, and, and that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. um, there are some people who are more open to it, more receptive. I think um, people who at least who are smarter or have been around longer or they think they're smarter um, are less receptive. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll say this, like my, my roommates who aren't physical therapy students or anything exercise science like that, they, they're receptive to a lot mm-hmm. of the, the stuff that I say that kind of might challenge their original beliefs. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's like here or there. For sure. Um, I, I imagine that part of what plays into this, especially for people who have some skin in the game and have been in it for a while, is this sort of sunk cost. Um fallacy. It's like, I've been, I've thought this for so long and I've practiced this way for so long that it, it's, it's really distressing and, and extremely inconvenient to try to change my approach and my explanations now. Yeah. I mean, would you guys agree with that? Yeah. And, and I would say like, like, cause a lot of people, when they practice like a certain way, like, Oh, I've been telling people like their posture is bad. And, and if I change my mind, it's like, man, there's a zillion patients I've told this and and what about those guys and mm-hmm. and I could say like man I've told a zillion athletes like don't let your knees come in if you squat like that's gonna oh, yeah. gonna blow up your knees one day or you know I yeah. told uh the at Nebraska and at the the place I used to work at we did a lot of PRI um stuff and mm-hmm. I, I was sold out uh with with PRI at that time and I'm kind of like man now I would totally say something different um, um, so yeah, I, I, I can say the same, like, Hey, it's okay. Like, I think it's never too late to like, Hey, change your mind, uh, change your mind, or at least question what you previously did, you know? Yeah. To jump in there. I've got two thoughts <clears throat> and I've been that guy too. I think, I think all three of us could agree that, you know, we were those people who, who thought those things and said those things. Um, just recently I had a, had a student back in the summertime and, uh, Greg Lehman came up to Toronto to do um, a free seminar, part of the Physio Night Out series. So we went out and checked that out. 
And he was talking about uh, tendinopathies. And previously I had told patients as part of my spiel, you know, hey, we know the tendons heal. They heal pretty well. They're, they're you know, I think I had said they take some time, but they heal pretty well. And then he talks about tendinopathies like, no, they don't heal very they well. Heal. They may not heal at all. <laughs> no, and I'm like, son of a bitch. Now I got to change everything that I say. You know, and I thought just like you said, Nate, about, you know, oh, shoot, there are so many people that I've told this to. And realistically, like, I'm not going to call them up. Be like, hey, that, remember that one thing that I told you that one time? This is actually how it is. But I think that a hallmark of really, I don't know, for lack of a better term, really good, trustworthy clinicians and researchers um, is that they operate on the best information available at that time. And they're not afraid to say I was wrong. Um, you know, I saw a comment on Instagram the other day talking about how we need to kind of accept and embrace the fact that how we treat or what we think today, you know, it's probably going to be very different from what we think, you know, in, in a year, two years. I've seen that be the case in, you know, uh, the last few months, let alone the last two, three years. So, uh, and I think that's how it should be, because I think that means that we're at least attuned to and probably seeking out newer or current and, and better information. And we're hopefully challenging our biases, you know, to see how can we be better and to use the the phrase everyone likes to try to be less wrong. All right. All right. Yeah. That's one of my goals here too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's some, that sunk cost fallacy is definitely relevant to a first year student in regards to how much money they're spending for school. And you're going to, like I said, kind of take things at, at face value. If you're, if you're putting that type of investment in, um, Nate, I, I loved what you said where, you know, where your first years and we really don't know anything because we don't, nobody, none of us know anything. And, and I, I'm actually much less, much, much less sure of myself right now than I was my first year of PT school. And I think it has everything to do with ego. And you actually mentioned something about some of your classmates who are more confident are actually less open. And I think that I was very guilty of that coming in, thinking that I knew stuff at all. And it definitely hindered my learning. And it sounds like to me, you've kept kind of that humble mentality and just said, well, maybe let's let's think about this a little bit. And And to me, that's really all school is about. A doctoral program, you know, doctor is kind of is Latin for to teach, if I'm not mistaken. And really, a doctoral postgrad program should be teaching you how to think. The specific content obviously can be helpful. You know, we're learning how uh, how not to kill people, and we don't as PTs we really don't have to worry about that anyway. Uh, but I think just learning how to think and learning how to learning to question things in a healthy way and and spark discussion. I would just encourage you to keep going and don't be discouraged if you ask a question and people think you're a dumbass because you're asking a question. Because I know that feeling when you ask something, people assume that you're stupid because you're asking a question like you don't right. know. Like you have no mm-hmm. mental representation of what you're asking. And that's why I ask him when really it's probably the opposite. You've actually pondered the ideas long enough to think about the nuance and, and to question the things. And that's why you're, you're coming up with that. And, and so you know, I just encourage you to, to keep doing that. And, um, you know, we could dive into these topics of, of posture and dysfunctional movement, trigger points and these types of things. Maybe we will, but I wanted to ask a question that we got from Shelby Miller, who I know, uh, is a is a PT who went to one of our uh, clinical athlete weightlifting seminars actually, and she asks, 
how can PTs better support you as a student, both in person and via social media? And I know I'm, it's kind of Shelby asking you, and now I'm asking the question, asking you as a student, how can we better support you? But, you know, throwing out some ideas like, I think that's why we created the Clinical Athlete Student Forum and try to get you guys involved and, and um, not try to make you clinicians too early or to try to pressure you into thinking about certain cases before you're ready, but just to kind of start you early on exactly what we're talking about. Um, I think those platforms are really, really helpful. Have there been, have there been things in your, in your experience leading up to this point that a physical therapist have done for you that have really, really helped in your experience? Yeah. I mean, a few things come to mind, like the level up initiative, they do like a little mentorship program in I, I won the lottery, so lucky me. I'm, I'm going to nice. be part of that uh, starting in January. Uh, so that's th- sweet, that's, dude. Thanks, man. Yeah, so that's that's one thing um, that clinicians are currently doing. Um, another thing that comes to mind as far as in, in-person goes, um, so at Creighton, our, our integrated lab class, which is like the class where we teach like special tests or screenings and, and exercise technique, um, there's a bunch of local clinicians that, come and, and help out. And, uh, and I think that's something that, uh, a clinician can do if they, if they're, if they, if they're close to a, a school or a program, they can certainly go volunteer and contact the, 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 the professors there and stuff. Um, I would encourage that if you do do that, don't be so much like a, of a, of a teacher than, um, than, than someone that just kind of like fosters critical thinking Again, I think we talked about that a zillion times and we'll probably keep talking about it. But um, I think it's so important because no two patients are identical. And you guys can probably touch on that more than I could. Um, but there's, there's just no uh, two identical patients. So it's it's hard to kind of, I mean, you can, but you can't apply what someone says to this patient. So we have to start asking questions. We have to start saying like, all right, well, what about this? Or what about this? This patient likes to do this. We have to ask these questions and we kind of have to look elsewhere for it. So I think that's the, it's never too early to get students to start critically thinking. Um, so that's one thing we you can do as a clinician is go help out in schools. Um, another thing is just kind of making yourself known. I know if someone posts on Instagram that they're a clinical athlete provider, if they're followed by clinical athlete, I'm like, Oh, Hey, like follow, like (laughs) they're probably going to post some good stuff. Um, so yeah, I I think for students, we don't, we don't contact a whole lot of patients unless we're uh, further along in our curriculum. But I mean, I would like to be prepared, um, to like learn how to like talk to patients and, and and interact with them. I know I have like I hear things from, you know, the pain science guys like Norma Mosley and stuff. And, and, uh, I feel like I kind of know how to regurgitate it, but if they have asked a question, I'm like, Oh no, I'm screwed. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I, uh, I do want to like learn from clinicians and stuff. So if they, if they make, if they kind of get out there, um, whether it's the cl- clinical athlete forum on social media, I think that that'll be super helpful for, um, eager students to, to contact them. That's really, really encouraging, I think, for me as a clinician to hear you say that sort of stuff, because um, I, I, offer, I regularly offer placements for um, Queens University, it's the whose catchment area I, I work in. Um, and I've been, I've been, you know, uh, fortunate enough to have some really great students come through recently. And one of the things that I tell them up front 
that I'm thinking about as they go through the placement is that I want to really foster as much critical thinking as, as I can in them, which is easy to say. It's hard to do. It's something that we're always working on. And I don't think that we're ever done doing that. I think that's a, a hallmark of a, again, a good clinician. Um, and, and I'll, I'll use uh, my most recent student, Alex Dirksen. I don't think he'll mind too much. What's up, Alex? Um, he, uh, I, I would make it a habit or, or occasional instance, at least, where if he was giving a rundown of what his game plan was with a given patient or if he was if I asked him what he thought was going on with the patient after we had done the subjective portion of the assessment and he would give me his answer. And, you know, I wouldn't even if I thought something, even if I thought the exact same thing, I would ask him why. And, and I made it known uh, early on that rarely was there ever going to be a distinct right and wrong answer. Um, but if you could always if if he could provide his rationale for why he thought what he thought, um, that was that was the crux of it. Because uh, it's happened lots of times before where I've had a student tell me something and I asked why they thought that or why they wanted to do that. And they gave me the rationale. And I thought, well, that's fantastic. Do that. Forget my plan. Yours is better. Um, and he was really good at that. And, and he, he expressed some appreciation for that, too. You know, we got to turn that into a bit of a of an exercise sometimes or we, uh, Quinn, I guess I have you to thanks for this because we would spend some time when we weren't treating patients <clears throat> just trying to work through a hypothetical situation where someone's got an issue in a squat or, or a snatch or something and took some cues out of your book um, for, for screening and assessment. And I would just play the part of the patient and he would ask me questions and I would give him information as he said, like, okay, I'd assess this thing. And I'd say, okay, now you found this. Um, and I'd ask him what you want to do now. And he'd give his answer and then ask why. And we just get a chance to work through that and figure out, you know, is this, is this helpful? What does this tell us? And then how does that inform the next step of our assessment and treatment and that sort of thing? So it's very, it was a very open-ended and interactive process. And I, I think for, for me as a clinician, Alex made it really easy as have a lot of my students because they were very willing and eager to participate in that. I think it could be really unpleasant for me as a clinician if the, the student weren't really open to that. And it, and it probably works the other way too. If the student is looking for that and the, the clinician is more like, no, no, it's this way and is not quite as willing to enter into that, um, I don't know, exploratory arena. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, so again, my, my mentor, uh, Justin Blasford in, in Omaha, like he he's like my mentor in all things physical therapy. And he always tells me like, he questions me even if I agree with him on, on certain things all the time. Um, but he always tells me like, look, it's not like just evidence-based it's because we can find evidence to do things like dry needling and cupping and that, and that kind of stuff. We can, it's out there. If we just look in a, uh, a certain area of literature, we can easily just like, man, like this is just checking all the boxes, but I mean, maybe not all the boxes, but it's confirming it some biases at least. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so it's it's not just that like you have to be like asking like why like what does it do and it, you just gotta have more questions instead of like being like sheep and just like oh the author says this it's effective so I'm going with it. You feel me? I feel you. <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. You can find anything to support any narrative you want. It, it, there's something out there for it. I think, and that could be applied to any of these concepts that you mentioned. Again, posture, dysfunctional movement, trigger points. It's not. I think the issue is black and white, making things black and white, where we know that there's just so much more nuance 
posture, like, you know, it takes posture, for example, it's just a position. So there's op there's postures that are maybe more optimal for certain tasks versus another, but it's the, narr the, the narrative that of black and white, there's a good and bad posture, or there's a dysfunctional and functional movement, good and bad movement. It's sometimes I think that maybe it's just easier to teach that way and it's easier to get the point across to the masses, which is unfortunate, you know, and, and maybe we just need more professor to student, more professors in there and, you know, better ratio or, or something like that. I don't know, but it sounds like what both you guys are saying is get a mentor as, you know, how can we better support students is be mentors, um, and don't bite off more than we can chew in regards to the number of people that we mentor, but actually want, you know, actually care and um, challenge the student. Don't be afraid to challenge the student and in a healthy way. Don't make them shell up and be afraid, but, um, you know, give them, give them chances to succeed, but uh, make them think a little bit. And it sounds like that's really the best that we can do. And that's, and that's a good thing, you know? Absolutely. Definitely. All right. Another question for you. So going off the idea of nuance, uh, where am I? Oh, okay. So Callan Mortson wants to know how, how you balance the knowledge that you've been taught in school and the nuances of platforms like this one. And before I let you run free here, Nate, um, I've said it a couple of times, probably on some podcast episodes that um, I think it's like I, I was, when I was going through school, I didn't know any different. So it was really easy to just kind of go along and just learn what was being taught and then regurgitate it and think that was all there was. And then once I was out of school, I started realizing or, or being exposed to more of the ideas that, you know, maybe maybe this isn't as black and white as we thought. Uh, and, and maybe there's a bit more to it. Maybe we don't have all the answers. Um, and I think that was the easier way to go than to be exposed to that idea during school and then have to still will myself to to learn it as well as I needed to to pass pass tests and then eventually pass the boards and, and trying to find the value in it. Um, I, I know I've spoken to a few students who feel the same way. But uh, that being said, what do you think? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. And and I know I'll, I'll, I I try to like share like the clinical athlete podcast or or PT on ice or. Uh, PT inquest uh, to all my classmates and and uh, a lot of them are like no I, I I don't have time for that like right now mm -hmm. I'm just gonna pass my tests and then and then move on and and just only focus on the, on the information that school is giving me because that's enough and and sure like if, I think if you're trying to get a 4.0 GPA like you're gonna be in the books all the time um, mm -hmm. as a PT student but I think we definitely have time to do it and I think it de it definitely helps. Um, because, uh, for example, like trigger points was a part of my exercise physiology, uh, uh, or in, in the curriculum and, uh, in, in following clinical athlete, being on the forum, um, I read a lot about the hypothesis of what a trigger point is. And that kind of helped me answer some questions on the, on the test, um, whether or not I like and bought in with it, you know, is a different story, but, uh, it helps. I think it helps uh, to do that. And 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 honestly, I don't want to discourage like discourage someone from trying to get a four zero uh, in school. But it's. Sure. I mean, you guys could probably touch on this. Um, but like, I mean, how really how important is it really to get a killer GPA? You know, 
and I know for me, I, I'm, I'm thinking about doing, uh, maybe like, a uh, research after school, maybe not. It's, I'm still early, but I'm thinking about it at least. And I want the option. So it kind of matters, but I think there's such a shortage of, of clinician investigators that they'll really take anyone that's asking good questions. And that's, you know, maybe gotten published during PT school, you know? So, uh, I really think it's, it's just not an issue. And, 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 and if you, if you do stuff here, you know, listening to this podcast, it, some of it might help you, some of it might hurt you. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it evens out, but at the end of the day, you're going to be so much more knowledgeable of things in the clinic when you listen to things like clinical athlete or PT on ice and um, senior rehab project, and, you know, if, or if you just kind of try to find your own information. So I, I think we definitely have time for it. Um, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? You guys were in school in yeah. one, one time long ago, yeah. right, Quinn? Yeah. Well, the GPA thing, I, I think it matters. I don't actually know if it matters to go on and do future research. Um, it's my understanding that the GPA, you need it high enough to get your degree and to get those letters behind your name. And then ultimately it doesn't actually matter as long as it's high enough to stay in the program. Um, obviously it's somewhat of a reflection on the work that you're putting in, but no, I don't, I don't think that keeping that 4.0 really matters once you're in physical therapy school. I also get the other side of the perception that I'm putting all this, I, you know, I've got to, I don't want to fail out. I mean, ultimately that's like probably what most people are worried about, not necessarily keeping their 4.0, but staying in the program. we always have that, like just scared feeling. I always had that in, in PT school. It always, I never was quite relaxed. Um, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. So I, I guess I, I understand the other side thinking about it as it's not helping me, but you made a point, Nate, that it actually, it actually can. And even if you're reading about the other perspective, like trigger points, you're reading about how, oh, we actually don't have a great working hypothesis of what it, of what it is. Learning both sides of the discussion actually gives you a real strong mental representation of the entirety of the concept. So when you get asked about it on a test, you you get it. You get more of a working knowledge of the subject than somebody who just tried to memorize the material for that specific test. And I think that's the biggest thing too, is that I don't know how much learning is actually going on in a program that's so concentrated in the because we are worried about the grade and we're worrying about passing, it's like once you pass it, like, oh, thank God. And then you're kind of on to the next thing, right? You don't you don't take it with you as, as much as you should. And so I do think that doing that extra work, reading research articles that you're not required to do is just extra practice. And we've talked on this show before about the notion of deliberate practice. And that's, you know, any endeavor, any sporting endeavor, it makes sense. Like golf, obviously I'm going to go out there and practice, 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 focus on, you know, nuance of, of movements and different shots and, and, you know, different aspects of the game. But I don't see learning in this field as much different. There's different aspects of learning. I want to learn how to read research better. You got to read research. I want to, I want to learn, you know, how to think about certain concepts in a more abstract way. Well, you've got to challenge yourself to do so and, and podcasts and, and discussion boards and all these things help with that. So it really is just about prioritizing your time. I would say like, if you ask your classmates, Nate, the ones that say they don't have time for it, and then you had them do a 24 hour, like 
diary activity log, you would probably be able to find some some time slots where they could listen to a podcast or you know go on a discussion board or something like that. So actually, that's a question that just popped into my head. How do you how do you schedule that time to do that extra work? Oh, uh, I mean, like I for me, it's like fun to like go watch you a nerd. lecture. On, <laughs> I, I know liar. it's I. I mean, like, I don't do it all the time. You know, I, I give myself a break. But, like, when I drive to school, um, it's not that far. It's only, like, 10 minutes to school. Um, but if I, like, drive around town or whatever, I pretty much put on a podcast. It's, it might not necessarily be a clinical athlete, but it's something, you know. Um, so that's one way I, I get more information. Um, and a lot of times, like, after a test, um, so, like, after we, we have a, our anatomy uh, exams. Usually it's Tuesday and then our practicals on Thursday. So on Thursday, I'm like, I'm done. And I'll go, you know, I'll go home and I'll go, uh, like watch a lecture. It might not get through an entire lecture, but I get some good tidbits from, from lectures and stuff. So, um, that's kind of how I do it on Sundays. I, I, that's like when I read my research, uh, when I can, I'm a part of a journal club for, PT school where um, we're doing research on on knees and ACLs and uh, I don't, have you ever heard of Terry Grindstaff? Yeah, I've not. Uh, well, he does a lot of uh, knee ACL research and he's it, he's awesome. He's real tight with like Dan Lorenz and uh, Eric Myra and stuff like that. Um, but I'm doing research with him, uh, so I I do read a lot of the papers he sends and. And most times when I read papers, it's kind of like, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> but with his papers, I'm like, I got to like get every <laughs> bit of information out of it because right. he asked some really good questions um, th- that week. So um, usually like Sunday, like Sunday nights or Saturday nights, if I'm not, you know, hanging out with, with friends and stuff like that, I'll be at home reading research. So I'm like, I'm done studying. What a bump in Saturday night. <laughs> I, I say that. That's it. I say that, but actually it sounds pretty cool to me. Um, I've heard people, some people say this, and I'm curious to know if you find this, Nate, um, that with social media being what it is, if you kind of surround yourself with some, uh, you know, trustworthy outlets uh, in terms of research who can kind of synthesize uh, what the research is saying, or at the very least, throw up these these journal abstracts or say like, hey, check out these these articles, that can be a really useful thing in terms of uh, pointing you in a, in a given direction so that you can stay up on this sort of stuff. Have you found that yourself at all? Yeah. I mean, I, I follow a zillion accounts on, on, on Instagram. Twitter is a good, as a great uh, outlet. Actually, I like, I, I, I'll retweet stuff. And then a lot of times I'm like, Oh man, I like retweeted something. So I'll go back to my profile and like, look for it. And like, mm-hmm. and then I will actually like read the full text, like whenever I have time. Um, but yeah, like I, I really enjoy like following clinical athlete because you guys, I mean, each post with like a like the squat myth uh, with knees going over your toes, there was like five references, and I was like, oh sweet, and I'll like go look <laughs> through all those and stuff like that. Nice. Um, so I, I really do. I mean, I enjoy following accounts that have that list references and stuff because mm-hmm. at this point in my life, I, I don't really need more theories or conjectures. Granted. If someone's very very smart, I I value and I value their opinion. Like yeah, I'll take it. But um, 
with like, if, if I ever get in discussion with my professors, if I have a presentation in, in a class, I would like some kind of research or something to, to back anything I say. So I, I think Instagram and, and, and Twitter are great educational tools. Just got to have your filter. Yeah, absolutely. It's that's, that's, that's a tough one, but um, yeah, I, I think uh, I can because there's a, there was a guy I saw, gosh, I don't remember his name, but he was a PhD guy and he's all like, oh, there's, there's correct movement. Movement is everything. And he had like stuff to, to back it. And, uh, and it, I mean, it has me asking questions. I don't, you know, I don't want to say like he's wrong before I, you know, actually look through his claims. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there are stuff that disagree with you and sometimes it's good to look at it. I think what you just said right there separates you from like 90% of all people who engage in internet debates uh, in, in not wanting to say that the other person's wrong before examining the arguments first. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you guys get a lot of that. I oh, just I, made it a... Yeah, sorry, you go. go yeah, I was going to say it's just, it's just human nature. I mean, I struggle. Mm -hmm. I have biases like anybody else. So if I see something that kind of catches my eye that read is going against my bias automatically my mind is ah it's bullshit you know it's it's so hard to take a step back and to be oh okay well i will re i will take the time to read and learn about your side and then we can then we can come back and discuss these things i mean that just doesn't you know no, social media is great i think nate you hit it on the head social media is great for a reference but i don't think it's super great for actually having discussions in which both parties are in it to learn i think social media is a quick fire way it's a quick fire pissing match and it's who can who can type their comment the fastest before the other person gets their second comment in and it's like let me dump as many links to abstracts as i possibly can to just bombard this person and then when the other person comes back with an immediate response, it becomes obviously clear that they didn't read those references. And so that's a point of contention. It's just, it, it's just a really shit show, really. Um, but it's, it's useful for me to hear that, you know, it's still like posts are helpful, a little bit of, of tidbit of information, a little narrative, and then here are some references for, for you to go dig into on your own, formulate your own thought process and then we can come back. And that's why I love the, the forum so much is because that is a, a platform where we can actually have discussion. Um, it's a little bit more nuanced. And it, hearing you talk about what you like the journal club, this is all really, really helpful because I want to start doing that stuff with in our forum too, having journal clubs and having student. We used to have student meetups uh, in the past. We want to get those going again. So that would be that would be super, super helpful. What are you mentioned a couple podcasts that you're that you're uh, into PT and quest PT on ice, any other resources or uh, books that, that you're, you've read recently or that other students could benefit from? Uh, I mean, it, it depends on the topic and I, I'm not much of a, a reader as far as when it comes to like reading for entertainment, because I just don't, it's weird. I don't read a whole lot, but if it's something I'm into, I'm like reading like all day. Uh, but a, a book that I, I just got is called crooked. Um, and I, I read like a couple pages into it and, uh, it, it's, it's really interesting just talking about like the, the national back pain epidemic. Um, I think that's a great resource. Uh, if you want to learn how to coach, I think 
I think starting strength's a great resource for uh, as far as like uh, mechanics and movement and stuff. Um, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on it, but I think that's a good uh, just kind of like methodolog- method methodological way of teaching how to do five exercises and um, and, and you know I'm, I may not do it with everybody, but it, I think it's a great resource. Um, uh, other podcasts, I think. Uh, Adam Meekins uh, NAF physio podcast. Uh, a lot of times when I, when I listen to podcasts, I just like go, I just type in, in the podcast app, someone that I follow and I'll like, so like Greg Lane and I'll like type it in and then I'll listen to like the first thing that comes up or, uh, um, Jonathan Sullivan is a great guy. Um, the, the group at Stanford is, is the, the Stanford pain Academy group, with, uh, Dr. Sean Mackey and, and Beth Darnold. They're great uh, when it comes to like opioid epidemic. Uh, uh, there's a guy in Michigan that I've, I listen to, but that's mainly like on YouTube. Um, and yeah, I think I, I would recommend students join like the, the clinical athlete forum. There's loads of great stuff on there and it, and it comes with references. So I, I think that's, it's great to, to do that. And I think it's also important for students to go find information on their own and, 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 and have like their own like Pico questions to type in on PubMed and stuff. Um, just because sometimes if you're given like a narrative on a paper, it could kind of skew your thoughts and be like, Oh yeah, it's cool. Or like, Oh, this paper sucks. Um, whereas it's, I think it's beneficial for us to learn how to figure out like, why does this paper suck on our own? Or like, why is this paper awesome? Or, or, or what's sound or what's not good about a paper? Um, so yeah, I think there's it, it, a balancing match of finding resources and going to seek out information on your own. Well, you mentioned starting strength is just like you said, five basic learning five basic movements: squat, bench, dead, overhead press, and clean. I mean, if every physical therapy student had a working knowledge of those five movements and you know reg- a couple of regressions in their back pocket for each for each movement, we'd be in a we'd be in an okay spot. You'd have a you'd have right. a good jumping off point. And that last question for me is in regards to exercise, do you feel like it, it was of benefit for you to have your strength and conditioning background coming into PT school? Was that is that a good supplement? Yeah, uh I I think it's it's incredibly beneficial. Um and one of my classmates actually said this. He's like PTs are just glorified strength coaches because, you know, everything heals within, you know, four to six weeks or, or whatever, you know, like everything heals. So at this point, we're just kind of strengthening to strengthening the patient to get back to whatever they're doing. Um, and I think Creighton does a great job of, of uh, our, so our exercise physiology class is actually kind of like exercise prescription and they follow the ACSM guidelines. So I don't necessarily jive with that, but it's, it's something, you know, that like, Hey, we know how to, this is our progression of strength to someone. This is our progression for someone if they want to get better endurance and stuff. Um, but I think my, my background as a strength coach has been helpful in, in me knowing how to teach a squat or, or, or a deadlift, um, or a press and a bench has been, has been incredibly helpful for me. Um, at least I hope it is in the future when I, when I work with, with patients. So well, and to I mean, be, yeah, to be fair to PT school, we've talked about this before too on, on past shows. Is they're not looking to make you a strength and conditioning coach, and they're not making to they're not looking to make you specialized in athlete rehab either. So, you know, they're going to give you a general exercise prescription program, and, and get and you have to learn as much about other settings as you can. So, 
you know, maybe another recommendation to students is if if you plan to if you want to work with athletes in the future and you want to have uh, kind of that like hybrid PT training model, maybe you should go, you go out and shadow some strength and conditioning facilities in your area uh, on the weekends or something like that to get more exposure. Jared, what were you going to say? I was going to say that, um, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine a situation where your background as a strength coach doesn't come in handy because when we're working with patients, whether we're talking about pediatrics or geriatrics or gen pop, um, I mean, it's it's really more or less just an application of basic strength and conditioning principles, of course, meshed with, um, you know, the the necessary understanding of um, uh, anatomy, physiology, and, and these other things that we need to to make sure that we can rule out the nasty stuff and and help people with more complex conditions. But still, uh, even if we're talking about a more complex condition, like I don't know, fibromyalgia or a Parkinson's case or something like that. I mean, chances are, I think, are still pretty good that we're still going to be um, implementing interventions that are are largely governed by the same strength and conditioning principles and how they look just might be different. Um, and, and I think that's where critical thinking comes back in because, you know, say, um, <clears throat> I don't know, I keep using this, this name, but Grandma Ethel, if she just wants to walk around the block with with her walker you know a bit more efficiently maybe we're doing some stuff that that helps her do that and and those interventions look a little bit different than than joe who wants to squat 500 but it's still governed by specificity and you know making sure that we can dose their their loading or their activity appropriately and progress it over time you know modify things if we need to that sort of stuff all right, Nate, last last question. I lied last time. This quick one. I'm going to put okay. you on the spot a little bit, but it's not really on the spot because you're fresh from it. We got a question. What Can you give tips to post-undergraduate students who are looking to get into PT school? Maybe just one tip. What can they do to increase their chance of getting into PT school or any any tips on the interview process that you have for them? Jeez. Uh, I mean... I, I don't have like the right answer on this one. And I, I guess that's the case with all the, all my answers I gave, but uh, I mean, I, I think doing obviously observation hours is, is incredibly helpful. I think making it known that you're, you are a critical thinker. And I think the main thing is you, you got to be honest. If you are go- trying to get into PT school and you have a knack for, for research, then ask about research in, in your interview instead of like, I know a zillion people are like, oh, like, what about research? What are the research opportunities in, in, in every time I ask that question during the interview process, all the professors are like, look, everyone asks about research, but no one actually does it. And I'm like, <laughs> trust me, like, I want to do research. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to find something that one of you guys do, and I'm going to try to get involved. Um, but I think being, being honest, that, that certainly helps. Um, I know at Creighton, we really, Crane really values uh, community service, um, and so I think doing that would be incredibly helpful. And you know, you're going to be a, a clinician at, at some point, and we want to see. I mean, I would want a clinician that's super compassionate, very empathetic, and just wants to serve uh, the patient. So, um, if 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 a school sees that in you, I think, I mean, you might not. It's not a guarantee, but it'll it'll it won't hurt. 
it'll certainly help, I think. So be honest and be a good person. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. What, what, you guys have any thoughts that on sounds that? Really, that sounds hard. That sounds terrible. <laughs> you wouldn't no, get in, Quinn. I think you nailed it. I Get as many shadowing hours as you can in, in various settings, not just the setting that you think that you want to work in. And I love the I love the answer in the interview. Being honest, I mean, I think people shell up because they try to be somebody who they're not, and then that comes off as a as a poor interview. So no, I think you nailed it, man. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree too. Um, I, I'll speak to to Queens University because I went through that program myself. Um, at the time, comparing it to some of the other universities in Ontario, uh, they they were different in that. They certainly cared about your GPA. It was still a competitive program, but they also kind of, I think they weighted it a bit more equally with your personal submissions. And the questions were, you know, essentially why physio? Then it was why have you, what have you done in physio? And then what have you done outside of physio or rehab that would designate you as a leader or has helped to contribute to your community or something like that? Um, And I I think, I think, I, I can't say for sure, but I feel like I heard... So at least one of the members, one of the faculty members speak to the fact that they really wanted to uh, have have most of their students be very well-rounded people. Um, and, and that jive with me, too, because at the time, one of the other schools would admit people based solely on GPA, which I thought was asinine. I mean, we're not as clinicians, like as, as PTs, we're, we're not just test takers. We we have a profession which largely relies on us being able to interact with other people unless you end up being just a researcher. I don't want to say just a researcher, researcher. I want to say unless you find yourself in some sort of role that has you removed largely from regular contact, which is probably the, the minority of people. So being able to have a, a fairly well-rounded background, I think, just makes makes sense um, because it, it probably lends itself well to, to you being able to build rapport with people that you're going to be working with both in terms of your clients as well as your coworkers. Um, you know, it, it might, it probably causes, uh, a few people to look at the same thing, whether it's a case study in class or a discussion about a particular topic and look at it from two different perspectives and hopefully, uh, facilitate a, a really productive exchanging of views, which, which is really what, what we've been talking about already in terms of, discussing these things, the fact that we recognize we don't know a heck of a lot. And uh, this exchanging of views is is meant to distill down the best of our ideas and hopefully have us use those best ideas moving forward and just repeat the process, you know, uh, ad nauseum, I guess. I like what you said there about just trying to find the best idea. That's, that's, that's the goal. That's it. Nate, where can people connect with you or learn more about you? Uh, Instagram, my handle is that one dude, D O O D seven. Um, and then on Twitter, it's all I see is golf. Uh, the reason why it's all I see is golf is because there is a, uh, a wrestler at Nebraska who won the gold medal in 2012 and his has, his handle was all I see is gold. And I just had to change one letter and, and then, yeah. So, (laughs) so yeah, that's, that's Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm, I'm on the clinical athlete forum. Uh, I encourage people to join that senior rehab project forum on uh, group on Facebook. That's, I try to be more active on that. So that's where people can find me. And you're going to combined sections meeting in January, correct? Yes. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Yes. Are you guys both going? I'm going. 
Jared, uh, Jared's no American. plans. <sighs> Just oh, throw that in my right. face, why don't yeah. you? <laughs> You're a physio, not a PT. That's right. <laughs> oh, I feel so gagged up on her. Right <laughs> no, it, I, I would love to see you there. Yeah, I'd love to see you guys there and, and any other clinical athlete uh, provider or any other great clinician. Like, yeah. Hit Absolutely, me up man. if you're going to go. And oh, I'm going. To link I'll up. see you there. All right, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll see you there. Friends. I'm excited. Yeah, we'll, I'll, yeah I'll let's hang out. out over here. That's <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> Sorry, Jared. All right, Nate, So thanks so much for being on the show, man. This was a blast. Uh, I think it's going to be extremely helpful for fellow students and, and clinicians as well to get both sides uh, of the coin here. So thank you so much. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's, it's been an honor and a pleasure.